next week we will uh, begin, uh, and by we I mean uh, all three of the pastors here at Grace, Pastor John Shishko, Pastor John Shaw, and myself, we will begin a, a catechetical series, which is a sermon series that we'll do in the evenings where uh, we will be choosing various scripture texts and the sermon theme will be guided by the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that we will be preaching sermons that are uh, pulling from texts from various places in scripture, but which are being guided by the, uh, the themes that you find in uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. But in the meantime, this evening, uh, we are uh, going to continue with a, a theme that we began to look at last week, which is this idea of mercy towards those who oppose the church, and in this evening, even those who would put to death those who are uh, confessors of Christ. And we'll be looking at the martyrdom of Stephen this evening, and particularly Stephen's dying prayer. And so please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 6. begin uh, reading in Acts chapter 6 uh, for some background context. I won't read all of Stephen's defense that he makes. It's a, a lengthier uh, speech uh, that takes up most of chapter 7. Uh, so I'll, I'll begin in chapter 6, verse 8, read through the end of that chapter, and then we'll resume the reading in chapter 7, verse 51. So beginning our reading in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. And then in Stephen's speech, he recounts Israel's history, and just to draw out one component of his speech is, he describes how Moses himself was rejected by Israel in his own day. And now where we pick up Stephen's speech, he flips the tables on his accusers, and he says that they are the ones who have opposed Moses, that they are, have joined with the previous generations in opposing uh, the prophets that God has sent. And so it is not Stephen, but, but they who are uh, guilty of opposing Moses. And so we'll pick up the reading in 7 verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. 
you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. As far as the reading of God's holy word. Are you ready to follow a merciful Savior? That may sound like an odd question. Which of us is going to say no to that? We're all going to say, yes, I'm ready to follow a merciful Savior. I want to follow a Savior who is ready to show compassion and mercy on sinners. But what if we adjusted that question slightly and put it this way? Are you ready to follow a merciful Savior who calls for merciful followers? Are you ready to follow a merciful Savior who calls those who follow him and who receive mercy from him? Are you ready to be those who likewise show that same mercy to others? This is a theme that we've seen in the New Testament. It's something that we're reminded of every Lord's Day when we say the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts even as we forgive our debtors. Show to us mercy even as we are now showing mercy to those who have wronged us. Or we might think of Jesus' parable about the two slaves who were in debt, and the slave who owed his master a, a great sum of money, uh, but who refused to, and, and was pardoned that debt, and yet who refused to pardon the, the uh, other slave who was indebted to him. And Jesus teaches that those who are objects of mercy must themselves be merciful. So as we look at our text this evening, we'll, we'll be taking up again that idea that a merciful Savior calls for merciful followers. Last week we saw how this, uh, this idea took shape in the life of Paul, particularly as he uh, called out with mercy to the jailer not to fall on his sword, not to do himself any harm. 
And this week we will see how this, we're, we're actually going backwards in the book of Acts, but uh, we'll, we'll see something that, that sort of brings Paul to that point later in his life as Paul himself becomes an object of mercy, as Stephen shows mercy towards those who executed him. So as we consider our theme that a merciful Savior calls for merciful followers, we'll first consider the model of Stephen's prayer. Stephen's prayer in uh, chapter 7, verse 60, in which he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then we'll consider the manner of Stephen's prayer, that he does this on his knees and with a loud voice. And then thirdly, we'll look at the fruit of Stephen's prayer. What's the result of this dying prayer of Stephen? So first, the model of Stephen's prayer, that Stephen's prayer is modeled after the prayer of Jesus. In our passage, we see that Stephen, in many ways, is, is described in ways that, that are quite reminiscent of Jesus Christ, his Savior. And so as we approach this text, uh, we would be approaching it wrongly if we looked at this as, as simply a, a nice story that expresses a good sentiment about simply uh, somebody being kind to their neighbor and that's all we have to do if we could all just be kind, if we could all just be like Stephen, wouldn't the world be a better place? And it might be a, a better place indeed, but uh, we must consider first how Stephen reminds us of our Savior, how Stephen reminds us that we ourselves are first objects of mercy before we are able to show mercy towards others. And so Stephen resembles Jesus in our text. Stephen's face shone like the face of an angel. And we might remember Moses' face shining when he was on the mountain. And certainly that adds to the, the uh, showing us just how hard his accusers' hearts are. They say, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't persecute Moses, and yet here's... Stephen with his face shining like Moses' face was shining, and they don't connect the dots, and they go ahead and stone him. But we should also see how Stephen's shining face reminds us of Jesus' shining face. That on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus' face shone a glorious light. In Luke chapter 9, and then shortly after Luke chapter 9, Jesus, or within Luke chapter 9, Jesus begins his journey towards Jerusalem. And this is one of the, uh, one of the big themes in, in that part of Luke's gospel from chapter 9. Jesus begins a journey towards Jerusalem, where he will ultimately be crucified. And Stephen, in chapter 7, gives a, a lengthy defense, which includes many travel narratives, but which ultimately lands in Jerusalem as well, with the temple. Jesus, when he is tried, is brought before the high priest. Stephen is also brought before the high priest. Jesus is brought before the council of the Sanhedrin. Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jesus is brought before the council of the Sanhedrin, and Stephen is brought before the council as well. There are false witnesses who are brought forth against Jesus, and the claim that they make is that Jesus said that he would uh, destroy the temple. 
And similarly with Stephen, there's an accusation that's brought up that he's preaching this Jesus and he's, he's uh, preaching against the temple. Both Jesus and Stephen charged religious leaders with continuing the act of profit killing that previous generations had engaged in. Both Jesus and Stephen are taken outside the, outside the city to be killed. Both Jesus and Stephen are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, from the cross, prays to the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Stephen, beholding Jesus, says to Jesus, receive my spirit. But more than all of these things, there is one final resemblance between Jesus and Stephen. And that is the prayer that they pray at the end of their lives. In the case of Jesus, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And in the case of Stephen, do not hold this sin against them. As we read this account of Stephen, we should be hearing echoes of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? How did he live? How did he die? And as he was dying, what, were the, what was his concern on the cross? What kinds of prayers did Jesus pray from the cross? And we find that Jesus, as he was being executed, prayed a prayer of mercy. Father, forgive them. So in reading this text, we must be reminded that we are first objects of Jesus' mercy. That before we have any hope of showing mercy towards others, we must know ourselves first forgiven in Jesus Christ. We must first know the Savior who is ready and willing to pardon sinners. We must know the Savior who is so willing to do so, in fact, that he will pray to that end, even as he is being crucified for the very sinners who are executing him. Jesus is the Savior who, with his, um, at the end of his life, as he is dying, as he is being executed, cries for Please, uh, he has pleas of mercy, not to his executioners, but for his executioners. Not pleading with those who are killing him to stop what they are doing, but pleading with the Father not to count this sin against them. Pleading with the Father to show mercy. And so before we would make any progress in showing mercy towards others, we must first come again to this cross and again hear the words of Jesus Christ, who pleaded with sinners even as he was being opposed and executed by those same sinners. 
Secondly, we can consider the manner of Stephen's prayer. Stephen prays on his knees. He falls to his knees as he is on the point of death. A posture of prayer for those who are opposing him. And so we also should assume a posture of, of prayer, an attitude of prayer for those who oppose the church, for those who resist the Holy Spirit. That we ought not to neglect prayers of mercy on behalf of those who persecute the church and who persecute us. But that we should remain diligent and steadfast in these prayers. But further notice that Stephen, as he prays, prays with a loud voice. That the manner in which Stephen prays is loudly. There's a lot of noise going on in our text. After Stephen gives his defense and he sees heaven open, he sees Jesus at the right hand of God, the, the crowd cries out with a loud voice in chapter 7, verse 57. Stephen himself, as he prays to Jesus, asking him to receive his spirit, calls out to him. And yet, matching the loud voice of the crowd, we have Stephen crying out with a loud voice in verse 60. We can ask the question, why a loud voice? Why, the, why this detail of a loud voice? There are perhaps many valid explanations that we could give. Uh, perhaps it's as, as Stephen sees Jesus, that it's as though he's, he's needing to cover the spatial distance that he sees, as, as though speaking to someone who's uh, not close by, but still uh, uh, within earshot. But perhaps it is so that his executioners can hear the prayer. So you pray in a loud voice, and not because he needs to do so for Jesus to hear him, but because he wants those who are throwing stones to hear him. Could it simply be an overflow of the soul that Stephen prays in a loud voice for mercy because this is the, the emotion that wells up within his heart? that he desires mercy earnestly, and so he prays for it earnestly, and he prays for it loudly. We saw this with Paul last week, that he calls out to the jailer who's about to fall on his sword, and he calls out with a loud voice to him not to hurt himself. And we can certainly understand that this is because the situation is urgent. Paul needs to be sure that he's heard, and there's all the, the physical, spatial limitations of sound that, that are being taken into account, and Paul is urgently shouting with a loud voice because the matter is urgent. But is it perhaps also because this is a reflection of Paul's role as an ambassador? That <clears throat> Paul cries out with a loud voice because he is the ambassador of a God who calls out with a loud voice. That when God sends an embassy to sinners, he doesn't send a man to whisper to them. That Jesus, when he invites anyone who is thirsty to come, for him, come to him, he calls out. 
So as Stephen calls out with a loud voice, this is but a reflection of the Savior who calls out with a loud voice. Stephen calls out with a loud voice for mercy because his Savior has called out with a loud voice, inviting sinners to come enjoy the mercy of God. And so let us cry out with a loud voice as well. Let us, as we pray, pray earnestly. Let us pray loudly for the lost. Let us pray loudly for those who would persecute the church, who would resist the Holy Spirit. Consider how difficult a prayer like this must be as you have rocks flying at you as you have perhaps broken ribs, maybe a punctured lung. Just as as you think about somebody undergoing that kind of experience, what is your your natural inclination? Give them what they deserve. And yet here's, here's a loud prayer for mercy. Because he has studied at the feet of a merciful Savior. Thirdly, we have the fruit of Stephen's prayer. Stephen prays a big prayer in a loud voice, but does he do so to a Savior who is of little mercy and quiet answers? What fruit, what benefit is there to have recorded for us this prayer of Stephen in which he pleads mercifully to Jesus to show compassion on those who are Uh, then stoning Stephen. What fruit, what benefit is there if Stephen is full of a, a desire for mercy, but if he prays to a Savior who is stingy for mercy, who's running short on mercy, who doesn't have much mercy to spare? Is Stephen's prayer only an expression of a moving sentiment but lacking any practical effect. What fruit might we we expect from such a prayer if the one who answers that prayer is not also of a similar disposition? Yet the good news is that Stephen, in praying this prayer to Jesus, is praying to the very one who taught him to pray that prayer. Stephen is the student of Christ in the school of mercy, in the school of merciful prayer. Stephen is not praying a prayer that he came up with, but he is praying a prayer that he has learned from Jesus himself. Jesus himself on the cross prayed for mercy for those who were executing him. And now are we to think, that that same Jesus who prayed for mercy for himself will now do an about-face and close his ears to Stephen's prayer. Do you think that the same Savior who prayed for mercy for his executioners will do an about-face and close his ears to your prayers? Do you 
Is he not the one who taught you to pray this way? Rather, we might expect Jesus' answer to Stephen's prayer to be, Yes, Stephen. Yes, Stephen, you have learned well. Jesus' mercy, we might compare to a container that is under pressure. Perhaps you've uh, had some mundane experience where you've had to close uh, a box that that has too much in it. Uh, Maybe it's your glove box in your car and you have too many maps and papers and, and whatever else that you've stuffed in there, and you stuff one more thing in there, but you can't get it back closed, and so you eventually get it closed again. But then all it takes to, to open it up is, is like the slightest touch, and then it just like pops open, and the contents come spilling out. Uh, with all seriousness, this is what Jesus' mercy is like. Contents under pressure. And that the, the slight touch, the, the key that you just, you just barely have to put it into the hole and it unlocks is this last prayer of Stephen. Does Jesus hear and answer Stephen's prayer for mercy? Yes, he does. Paul is sitting nearby, standing nearby, guarding the cloaks of those who are stoning Stephen. And as we read about Paul's role in this, I, I don't think we should think of him simply as, you know, this, this young little kid who's kind of wants to be like everybody else when he grows up, and, and he's not big enough to participate in the stoning yet, and so they give him the, the junior job of guarding the cloaks. Rather, we read immediately after in verse 8 that Saul is spearheading a persecution of the church. That Paul's role as guarding the cloaks isn't, you know, this junior volunteer, but event coordinator. And this is the one marked out for mercy. That as Stephen prays for mercy, he's, he's going to not live to see that in his own life. And yet, it's not lost on Paul. Paul will reflect on the fact that he watched the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen. And Paul will be converted. And Paul himself will become one patterned after the image of Christ and also one who resembles Stephen as an object of mercy who then preaches mercy to others. We saw that last week with with the jailer. Paul himself will become like Stephen. Paul himself will be stoned to the point of death, to the point where he's assumed to be dead and he's dragged outside the city. And so Paul too will suffer. 
And yet in that suffering, Paul too will seek the mercy of those who persecute him. Even as he's persecuted by the Jews, he, it will be his burden. It will be his burden so much so that he will say that he could wish himself cut off from Christ for the sake of his brothers according to the flesh. That Paul's earnest desire for the Jews who oppose and persecute Christ and the church is that they should be converted. And so we too, as we pray, as Stephen prayed, as we pray as Jesus prayed, we may hope for an answer to our prayers. We may pray to the same Jesus who is big with mercy, whose mercy is, is ready to flow, but who calls us to be consistent and diligent in our prayers to him for mercy on the behalf of others. And so I'll ask you again, are you ready to follow a merciful Savior? Are you ready to follow a merciful Savior who calls his followers to themselves to be merciful? Are you ready to renew yourself in praying for the lost? Have you armed yourself with this attitude of suffering? That you will not revile, but that you will bless. Are you prepared, if not stones, to have insults hurled at you in the name of Christ? Are you prepared to take up your cross and to follow the merciful Savior? May God continue his work in each of us to shape us after the image of his own son, that we too may be like Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do approach you, the God and Father of all mercies, the God who begets mercies. And we ask you to continue to shape us after the image of your Son, continue to fill our hearts with compassion, make us zealous for prayer, and make us a praying people, make us a praying people for the lost, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray.